Hey guys, welcome to my podcast Mind Maps, where each episode we will be traveling to a new destination on our mind maps, whether it be the mind of a friend that has started a nonprofit to a teacher with a YouTube channel. Hey everyone, today I have an amazing guest on the podcast. Her name is Ellen Chi, and she just is really knowledgeable about Kawasaki disease, and she is actually an activist or a person that's trying to bring awareness towards it. Um, so Ellen, if you could just tell me a bit about yourself and a, just about um, how you got into Kawasaki disease and becoming an activist or a person that's just trying to bring awareness towards it. Yeah, of course. So hi, everyone. Thanks for having me on, on this podcast, and I'm super happy to be here. Um, so yeah, I'm a high school student from San Diego, California. And as Anna mentioned, I'm super passionate about raising awareness for Kawasaki disease and also to help improve Kawasaki disease diagnosis. So I kind of got into this because um, when my sister, my younger sister was three years old and I was five, she had Kawasaki disease and it was actually kind of a tough kind of experience because the first time we brought her to the doctor, um, she was actually misdiagnosed. And oh. yeah, so the second time we brought her to the doctor, like luckily um, we, brought, we brought her back mm-hmm. and the second time she was diagnosed with Kawasaki disease. So she was able to get treatment and she, she's fully recovered to this day. And I'm honestly really thankful for all the events that kind of led up to that and how she was able to finally get diagnosed. I'm super thankful to all the doctors who treated her and allowed her to kind of become this healthy girl that she is today. So, mm-hmm. you know, I think I'm pretty lucky that um, I still have my sister with me today, but I know that a lot of cases, there are other misdiagnoses out there and that, you know, there's honestly a lot to help. So that's kind of how I got started on this, but obviously there's still a lot of room to improve and, you know, there's always a lot more to do. Yeah, definitely. Um, so just, I guess, delving more into um, Kawak. Okay, I think I've been pronouncing it wrong my whole life because um, my, my parents, you know, like Asian parents, sometimes they pronounce things wrong. So I've been calling this disease Kawasaki disease like my whole life. But I like when I hear you pronounce the word, I'm guessing it's a different pronunciation. Is it Kawas or how do you say it? Sorry. Oh, honestly, no, it's totally good because um, it's from... <laughs> It's like a Japanese word, I'm pretty sure. So oh, okay. I don't know. I just call it Kawasaki, but honestly, any pronunciation is probably yeah. <laughs> the way I'm pronouncing is probably not right either. So anything is good. No, yeah, honest. I just like there's so many funny stories with you know like my Asian parents pronouncing um words wrong when I was little, yeah, and then I just grew up with it, right? And like, okay, this is kind of sidetracking, but I remember we had a guinea pig. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was little and like my parents never knew how to say guinea pig so for like literally my whole life when I was younger I was calling a guinea pig a gunia pig because that's <laughs> how they would pronounce it and like I just didn't know that that was a wrong pronunciation until like my brother's friend he came over and he was like that's not a gunia pig it's a guinea pig like that's how you pronounce it <laughs> so and, funny. right so I was like that's just a funny little thing um but yeah I guess I'll just try to say kawasak okay but you can just call it KD. I know a lot of doctors call it KD as well. I call it KD sometimes. It's just like shortened. Yeah. Because, okay, perfect. A long word and it's pretty hard oh. to pronounce. Right, right, right. I get like tongue tied with it too. So yeah, don't worry about it. <laughs> perfect, perfect. Um, so yeah, I guess we talked a little bit about um, why you became a KD activist. Um, but now I'd like to know what was it like just, you know, seeing your sister go through KD disease? Um, yeah. Yeah, so that's a really good question, I think. Um, Mm. Honestly, I was pretty young, so I don't remember too much of the details. Like, I don't really remember what she looks like, and I don't know if I want to, because I bet it's pretty painful to, like, remember that. But 
I do remember how like like riding on the ambulance a few times because her fever got really high mm -hmm. and I do remember going to the doctor and I remember the specific doctor that diagnosed her because he had a really like acute doc like um a frog kind of <laughs> like icon on his kind of pin uh -huh. on his jacket so I do remember small details about that mm -hmm. um but I guess mostly I remember how like scared and worried my parents were mm -hmm. because we really didn't know what it was and the doctor at first like um a lot of doctors don't really know about this disease since it's quite rare so we mm -hmm. really didn't know what was going on and when like the doctor was like weren't sure either and when she was misdiagnosed the first time um you know she was like diagnosed with the flu but when we brought her uh -huh. back and we just like kind of saw her not really improving actually her symptoms kept on getting worse and worse mm -hmm. i kind of just remember how like scared and confused and you know worried we were mm -hmm. so it's definitely not something that i want anyone to go through but I think since I was so young, it's just like kind of stuck with me. And I don't really remember too much of the like kind of visual details or kind of like the events that were going on. But I remember definitely how I felt and how, you know, like the emotions that were kind of going through at the time. So I think that's what really like propels me to, you know, right. raise more awareness about Kawasaki's disease. Right, definitely. Um, and like, I totally relate with that because I actually had... KD disease as a child, but I also don't remember it that much because also um, I was a child back then. I do remember, you know, like little things. Um, so like I remember, you know, little moments where, because or KD disease, I know you have like really bad joint pain. And so I remember not being able to even just like pick up my toys because my parents were telling me, you know, you got to clean up your toys because I just remember our whole living room floor just being filled with toys and I, I was trying to clean it up, but I couldn't even bend down to pick it up because that's how much um, I like my joints or my um, abdominal region had like pain. And I just remember like also little things like you said, you know, where you remember the doctor's pin that was like a cute little frog. Um, like I remember it being hospitalized and just, I remember the macaroni being super good. And I just like look, <laughs> look forward to that every single day. Like I remember the nurses coming in and be asking like, Anna, what do you want for lunch today? And I'd be like, oh, I want macaroni again or something. Um, <laughs> right, exactly. Like it never gets old, but like, I just remember those little things. And so I totally relate with that. Um, and like about the fever thing. I remember when my parents first, you know, saw me have this really, really high fever and just all over my body, they were super confused too. So like, I remember them just um, calling the emergency or like 911 to get me to the hospital as quick as they can. Cause like, we had no idea what was happening either. Um, Cause it was just, it's such a rare disease. And like, um, yeah, like my parents were like first or I'm first generation. So, like, you know, they just came from China to America. And like, so they're confused too. Like, oh, you know, my daughter just now randomly got a huge fever and like so they don't know what to do either and it was just really chaotic so I totally relate with that um yeah my next question is just how you want to help people um just or educate people in general on KD disease yeah so thank you so much for sharing your story too like I think it's really meaningful and um mm -hmm. it's always great to see other KD survivors and you mm -hmm. know I think that like it's such a painful and like, kind of pretty serious disease you know because it, it can like have like everlasting effects but I was reading about your bio and I saw that you're like a dancer and like yeah. that really amazed me you know how like you were able to recover and you're you know mm -hmm. up and about dancing and everything so that's really great so thank you for thank so much you. for sharing that too of course yeah, yeah. so for Kawasaki disease um I think one kind of special thing about it is that um you know when you have that high fear and all those symptoms um one thing is that there's like a 10-day window for effective 
treatment. So it's mm -hmm. really important so to like diagnose it not only because it can have serious effects, but because it does have that like urgency of time. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, you can misdiagnose it once and then if you miss like one day, then mm -hmm. it can get like a lot worse. I think the number is 25% um, chance mm -hmm. of getting an aneurysm. So it's mm -hmm. like, you know, my sister, I remember we got her to, um, to the doctor where she was finally diagnosed on the fifth day. So fifth day out of 10. So that mm -hmm. it was still in that 10 day window, but um, you know, if that doctor didn't know about Kawasaki disease or, right. um, you know, we never brought her back to the hospital and we waited longer. So like longer than 10 days, then things could have been really different, you know? And I think mm -hmm. for a lot of families, they might be going through the same thing. So I think one really important thing is, you know, to raise awareness, to have other people know about this disease, first of all, and also know how to recognize it. So maybe when someone around them or like their friends um, or someone that they know or encounter sometime in their life, goes through this, um, that people around them will be able to help them or they'll be able to help other people. And I think that kind of awareness is, you know, the first step to getting people um, help and to, you know, diagnose children and kind of um, prevent them from any serious, you know, heart mm -hmm. complications later on in their life. So I think that's one of my main goals. Um, first of all, you know, to bring awareness and because it is such a, it is the number one heart disease in children in the US Japan. So mm -hmm. it's really kind of, it has kind of a big impact, but um, it is relatively rare compared to other diseases. So um, it doesn't get as much awareness as I think it um, probably should be, should be having. So I think right. that's one of the main things I've been working on. Also mm -hmm. um, with Kawasaki disease, the, since, you know, I'm pretty sure you might've heard about this, but for every child, the symptoms are different. So that's mm -hmm. one of the reasons also why it's hard to diagnose because it's not like the flu or the cold where there's like a certain set of symptoms that you're always looking for, but it can look different, like really different. Like two children who both have Kawasaki disease could have vastly different symptoms. So right. I think one other thing that I want to do with that is um, also help the diagnosis. And of course, the first step to that is like awareness that people know about it and they can recognize it. Then of course, that's like a really good step forward, but also to come up with better ways to early diagnose Kawasaki disease. So before or within that 10-day 10 10 window, how can we like kind of improve the diagnosis and help and work alongside doctors to, you know, provide a better way of diagnosing Kawasaki disease? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Um, I remember my mom also telling me and reiterating to me um, throughout my life that, again, it is such a small window of time that doctors have to diagnose it or yeah, diagnose it. Um, and I think I was really lucky because the doctors that I found, they were like super quick to um, judge what it was. And like, I think they judged it within like the first day or so. And so I think that's why I didn't have, you know, um, a really hard time recovering from it. And I think I recovered from it within like a two week span, um, which I think is the normal time to recover from it. Um, but so I think also it kind of goes on a spectrum. Like you were saying, also people have different symptoms. Like, you know, I think my symptoms that I know of so far, at least, or remember, are just um, having abdominal slash joint pain and um, having a really high fever. Um, but definitely, I totally agree with everything you said. Um, yeah. And now I just want to like look into the future more. Um, what impact do you want to make regarding KD disease, or do you see yourself as, you know, um, in the future, this, like, activist while doing your job, something like that? Yeah, I definitely see myself 
um, spreading more awareness about Kawasaki disease. Um, like, yeah, as you mentioned, probably, you know, working more towards raising awareness, like talking at podcasts like these, which I absolutely love. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, you know, finding different channels to really get the word out and um, have more of the general population, you know, know about Kawasaki disease. Um, one other thing I see myself doing is working kind of in the more computer science or machine learning field and finding ways to kind of use technology to assist doctors when diagnosing this disease. So I think, you know, AI and medicine is like a pretty new field, but um, I think it does have a lot of potential, especially because, you know, Kawasaki disease does have a wide range of symptoms and um, often there's a lot of uncertainty when diagnosing it. So even like really experienced doctors might have um, certain doubts, but it's really just like they go with their gut feeling or something like a certain small symptom might um, cause them to make the diagnosis. So I think that it, it could really help doctors if there's kind of like a something technology back, like a machine learning algorithm that can be on a phone or, you know, be on a, um, or like just analyze photos that could kind of provide a second opinion and kind of help doctors do this. And not only that, but, you know, outside of the hospitals, um, if anyone in the general public could, you know, just pick up their phone and, you know, um, if they're not sure what, if their child has Kawasaki disease without even having to go to the hospital, um, they could potentially, you know, pull out their phone and just take a few pictures of like a hand or, you know, a rash and mm-hmm. have um, kind of an opinion that's backed by like multiple, um, multiple, you know, mm-hmm. big data sets. So yeah, that's kind of more of my long-term vision. And I, I'm, you know, it's a pretty big problem to tackle, mm-hmm. but I think that there is probably potential with this and you know machine learning is getting bigger and bigger and its potential for image analysis is also um, getting more powerful so I really hope to kind of combine these two um, different methods of kind of raising awareness about Kawasaki disease and also trying to improve the diagnosis and use that to you know help more children like you know you and my sister so mm-hmm. right definitely um I love how you are like you have this big vision and I think you're going to be able to do all the things that you said because um, just like seeing, you know, like also I was looking at your LinkedIn and I was like, you do all these amazing things and I can tell you do them with a passion, you know, so I think you're going to, yeah, of course, I think you're going to be able to accomplish um, whatever you put your mind to and like all the things that you just listed about, you know, maybe um, in the future when there's more machine learning available and like, you know, when you even make all these different things, people will be able to just take a picture of their kids like arms or um just other symptoms and check if, you know, it is Kawasaki or KD disease or not. Um, so I totally love everything that you talked about for your future. Um, now just getting into your mindset a bit. I would love to know if you could tell me about a time when somebody gave you some difficult feedback how, and how did you handle it? Yeah, this is actually a really big question and really like um, all these really deep questions that you've thought of. Mm-hmm. Um, so one thing is that um, I actually just recently attended a summer camp. I'm not sure if you heard about it, but it's called LaunchX. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it's like an entrepreneurship camp, you know. Mm-hmm. And I went there because I kind of, you know, with Kawasaki disease and everything, I kind of wanted to see how people really bring their ideas to life and how people can make an impact. And mm-hmm. I think it, it was really cool how, you know, high schoolers can do the same. But um, obviously, you know, like with entrepreneurship or with anything in general, um, some ideas, you know, just don't. work out so we got I think one big thing that came to mind when I saw this question was you know like when we have an idea and when we're really excited about it 
um, and we can be super passionate about this idea. So for me, um, it, for me and my team, it was about mm -hmm. uh, mental health and we wanted to help um, high schoolers who may be facing problems with their mental health. But, mm -hmm. you know, we got some really realistic, but, you know, helpful feedback that was just saying that some things just like, um, it's really hard to break into, especially if there might be legal issues. So the particular idea that we were having um, mm -hmm. just wasn't feasible. So I think a lot of the time when you receive like feedback that just um, tells you that your idea, you know, isn't feasible or, you know, isn't something that can generate the impact that you want it to, mm -hmm. that it's like really hard to hear. But um, we ended up moving out, like moving from that idea and pivoting. And we ended up going with a different idea that ended up um, having, you know, a similar impact, you know, but still trying to solve the same problem, but mm -hmm. did it in a much more effective way. So I think a lot of times, um, from like myself included, when I take feedback like this, it's kind of seemed like hard in the short term, especially when you first hear it. But mm -hmm. um, looking back, it was probably the right decision. And with the, if we hadn't heard that feedback, we probably would have gone a lot deeper into an idea that probably wasn't possible for us to achieve. So mm -hmm. definitely, definitely. Um, I totally agree with that because I remember I also went to a camp. It's kind of similar to LaunchX, I would say, mm -hmm. but it, it's called Quarter Zero. You know, oh, like, yeah, I've heard of that. Yeah. So I think it's kind of similar where it is like an entrepreneurship kind of startup camp thing. Um, I went to their like week one. It was only like around a week, like 10 days. Um, but I think I did a similar thing where, you know, we came up with um, a product idea, tested it out with like, you know, people on the street to see if we could find a customer base, things like that. Um, but I remember the one specific mentor at that camp, um, I remember when I went into the camp, I had this like mindset of, you know, just taking AP classes or just getting a 4.0 GPA or getting whatever score on the SAT or SAT would like, um, like would mean I would have success in the future. Mm -hmm. But then like once I got out of that bubble and I went to quarter zero and like the mentors, they told me like, you know, that's not the only thing that guarantees your success. You know, there's so many other factors outside of just your test scores or what classes you're taking, et cetera, that really um, define you for like, you know, what your future is going to be or what your success per se is going to be. I just like realized, you know, there's so much more than just but it's like in my bubble of people in um, my school in Michigan. And so when I first heard that, obviously I did take that with a grain of salt too, where, um, cause I just like knew, like the only thing I knew my whole life was, you know, taking AP courses or like doing all these things. And I thought those were the only things that mattered. But then once I heard like other opinions or like I asked other feedback that really opened my mind. Um, even though like like you said it was hard to hear at first but then like in the long term i think it really helps me develop like better um like a better mindset in general and like also being more open to you know looking at other opinions and like starting a podcast where i can like listen to people from all over the world and hear all their different perspectives and opinions so i totally agree with what you said um yeah my next question is also kind of like deep i would say it's like probably very deep but um what is your greatest failure or regret and what did you learn from it yeah i also really like this question <laughs> um so um i'm sure like as an athlete yourself you probably have experienced you know sometimes when you you like experience dips and mm -hmm. you know like kind of times where you don't perform as well as you should be or you just don't perform well at all yeah so I guess my one of my greatest failures was um 
I think approximately last year. Um, so we have like fencing seasons. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. I'm not sure if it's like the same for other sports, but um, mm -hmm. where we like, there's some certain competitions that you have to go to in order to like qualify for like nationals or like junior Olympics or something like that. Mm -hmm. So um, the year before I got, I was, I had a really good year and I got seventh at nationals. Oh. Um, but I remember how like that year I literally performed really bad the entire season. And, um, you know, I was going like, I was going through such a bad, like kind of dip in my fencing performance. Mm -hmm. And it was kind of honestly, um, really disheartening because it was like, I was putting all this effort in and I was like going to training, but then every time I flew like super far away for like a competition, I wouldn't like place or get any points. Mm -hmm. So I think that was probably like my biggest failure. And it wasn't even like a one-time failure. It was literally the entire season. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, like, I think at a certain point, um, you really can't get any worse than you already have. So yeah. eventually things started getting better. And, um, you know, the, it's not like when you put in more training and more effort, it's like a linear growth, right? But mm -hmm. um, it's honestly not. It's like sometimes you put in a lot of effort and you don't really get any results or sometimes you might even get worse. But then um, once you like keep on putting that effort in, keep on training and if you like don't really stop, um, mm -hmm. then at a certain point you get, you start getting better again. And I think um, that's kind of one of like my main failures, but um, I think I sort of answered the first part of that. So like the greatest failure, but I don't really, Although it, like it was kind of hard and I like kind of was um, frustrated at myself for not really performing well when I saw like all my teammates doing really well mm -hmm. and kind of like seeing my family having to like fly me over to competitions all across the nation and then mm -hmm. not really doing that well at those. I think I don't really regret having that experience because um, yeah, it was like pretty hard. Um, but I think now when I go to competitions, I kind of have that feeling like, you know, um, or going to training in general, that it's not really um, the results or like, it's not really the absence of results, I guess, mm -hmm. but it's like just doing what you love, you know, and yeah. kind of going out there and just going to those competitions and kind of being happy with yourself no matter what result you get. And I think that's like one of the things that really showed me that, you know, it's not really all about the competition and that you can still um, have a lot of fun without, so without like, um, having those good results and yeah honestly that was probably my biggest um, failure and kind of a part of my life that I'm not too proud about but mm -hmm. I think that overall now it's given me like more confidence in my abilities and that like I can get better mm -hmm. and that you know with training and with effort um, you will improve and that the results will come naturally after that. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Um, I definitely really like how you kind of learned from that and like how you're learning that, you know, it's not just what the outcome is. It's also like, you know, what you put into it that matters with the hard work comes naturally the improvement and the accolades that come with that. So I love how you're um, doing that because also just an example this past year, like I was on this Indian dance team, which is like a really different type of dance for me. And it was, it was like a really fun experience. But um, a lot of people on that team, or at least our captains, um, which are like, you know, crucial parts of how we practice, I feel like their mindsets were just focused on, you know, getting first. They had these huge ambitions for our team, but I feel like they didn't necessarily have the right work ethic towards that. They just had that, um, 
they had that ambition in like the back of their mind, but they, I feel like they didn't know how to practice with us. Like we would always have practices like one to two hours late. And I remember literally it was like before the competition day, we were still making our costumes and everything, which like normally we should have done like at least a month before competition and it was really the day before. And so like, I feel like with, you know, this mindset, if they went in with this mindset of like a stoic philosopher, where we actually like put in the work, um, with the time that we had, um, rather than not just focusing on, you know, the huge ambition that we have, I feel like we would have had a different outcome. And also we would have just been more happy um, in general. So yeah, that's just my 50 cents on that. Um, but I love, I loved hearing your failure and like, you know, how you learned from it. And yeah, um, my next question, I would say it's like more optimistic than, you know, what your greatest failure is. Um, it's just, <laughs> If you could tell me about um, what your proudest achievement was. Yeah, so I think my proudest achievement is probably, you know, with Kawasaki disease, because I think um, one thing that I like to think about is like, um, it doesn't really matter about the number as much as what goes after it, you know? Mm -hmm. So it could be like 100% doesn't mean as much as like making one person's day better. So I think like my most proudest accomplishment was probably with Kawasaki disease and, you know, I think even though I haven't gotten too far in it, and many people might look at it and be like, you know, you, your other accomplishments probably outshine that. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, it's something that I'm really passionate about and something that I really care about since it, I've seen it like affect the people around me and like the people I love. Mm -hmm. And I think it's something that I, can, I actually want to create an impact in. So my most proudest achievement is probably um, with my Kawasaki disease diagnosis project. And this year I became like an ISEF finalist for that. So I think, you know, even though ISEF was canceled and everything, I think it's just, you know, that feeling that I can create an impact and that maybe even though AI is relatively new in medicine and that something like this hasn't really been done before, but that it can be possible. And not only that, but you know, it can possibly help people. Definitely. Um, yeah, I just love how your passion or ambition to raise, you know, awareness about um, KD disease came from like a humbling experience, you know, with um, it having to hurt the ones that you love around you. And like, you know, now that you've seen that um, firsthand, you want to help other people that um, could possibly be affected by this. So I love that. Um, yeah, my, mm -hmm, of course. Um, my next question is, was there ever a person in your life who really made a difference? Yeah, so I know I've talked about Kawasaki disease a lot, but I really want to bring up my sister one more time because, mm -hmm. um, so I, I have one sibling that's like my younger sister and, you know, she's like really the person that drives me to, to like do what I do, you know, and kind mm -hmm. of motivates me to help other people. And it's not just like her experiences and like, you know, seeing that she had Kawasaki disease when she was younger, but overall, she's just like a really uplifting person. And she kind of reminds me that, you know, she's really like optimistic all the time and she doesn't really focus on the past too much. And even though she had Kawasaki disease, she like plays sports, she's like, plays like piano and she's also really good at it. But I think it just shows me that, um, you know, your past doesn't really like define who you are. And right. even though she did have like heart complications and um, a lot of people were like, why are, why are you still playing sports and everything? Um, and just like you too, I think that like that really shows a lot of resilience mm -hmm. and it kind of, 
inspires me like um, even though I didn't have the same experience but that I should be I could be helping others and that I I can like kind of be resilient and kind of move through life in that mindset Mm-hmm. Definitely, definitely. Um, yeah, so now moving on to some more fun questions. I would love to know what the last book you read was. Yeah, so I was currently reading a book like a month ago, mm-hmm. um, and it's called The Sun is Also a Star. Have oh, you heard of that ever? I've heard of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's really good. It was really interesting because it was about um, these two people. Um, Whoops, it was like a month ago. I don't really remember two, their names anymore. But uh-huh. yeah, so it was about like these two people and they, it was kind of like a sequence of events that like led them to meet. And then it was really interesting because um, it was kind of like they had such different lifestyles and it was, um, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, yeah, they, they all were going through a lot of trouble. So I think the girl, um, she was an immigrant and she was about to be sent back to her country after living in the U.S. for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And the boy was um, applying for Yale in an interview, but he really didn't want to go to Yale, but his parents mm-hmm. were, like, pressuring him to. Mm-hmm. So I think both of them are going – it was kind of, like, showing how, like, everyone kind of has their own story, but yeah. um, how they were helping each other, and they didn't even know about how they were, you know, helping one another. Mm-hmm. And it was – I haven't finished it yet. But <laughs> it was really interesting because um, I think it had a really good message and that it's a really good book. I think um, people should really be reading it. And yeah. um, I think it had a fair, you know, sense of like part of humor, but also had a really deep message. So I'm actually, I should probably continue reading that because I left off on a chapter one day and I like never got back to it. But, you know, thanks for, thanks for asking that question because I think now I'm going to go back and read it. I'm actually curious to see what happens. Right. Um, I stopped reading it because like something bad happened and then I just was like oh <laughs> um, but I'm pretty sure the 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 ending of the book is good so yeah. yeah I love that idea where it's like you know shining a light on um just everyday people and their stories and how um like you said everybody has their own story and how these two specific people can affect each other's lives even though they are you know polar opposites of um, people so yeah I love that um and then my next question is, what is your all-time favorite movie that you could just, like, keep watching over and over again? Yeah, I really like this question as well. Um, <laughs> my favorite movie of all time is Interstellar. Um, I remember watching it when I was younger. I don't remember. I think I was in, like, sixth grade or something like that. Um, I remember that was the first time I watched it. And initially, I thought it was really boring. <laughs> like, <laughs> the beginning scene where they're talking about the more science like mm-hmm. the kind of historical aspect of it mm-hmm. um I, I was kind of bored but then it gets so good so fast and um, I'm not have you watched it before Anna yeah I have I have yeah yeah so you know in the beginning we're like they're talking about what happened yeah mm-hmm. I was kind of really bored and I was like wait what is this movie about you know but then it got so good and I think it has it's like sciencey but um it's like really like there's a lot of action and yeah. there's a lot of plot twists too, like at the end. And it's also so sad. I was crying mm-hmm. like the whole second half of the movie. Mm-hmm. But I can literally watch that so many times. And like every time I go on a plane, I always try to find it since, you know, it's on like a lot of those flights. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's like my favorite movie ever. And I think it like makes me cry, but then it makes me like laugh. And then mm-hmm. it's just like such a good story. And I think, um, you know, the love between like the father and the daughter was like really, mm-hmm. really made me emotional. Mm-hmm. and kind of how 
sometimes you wish you could like go back in time and like say things or like go back in this fifth dimension and kind of like reverse your actions but mm -hmm. um you know I think I'm not sure if this is like the overall message of the movie but I think it's just showing that like everything happens for a reason and that your loved ones will always be there to like support you, you know mm -hmm. like that movie makes you think so much but it also like you said it has like those aspects of being you know super emotional and like showing that message where um like you said your loved ones like are always going to love you no matter what um and like like you said you always are going to make these choices but your choices always have um different outcomes but the outcomes are there for like a reason like you choose every single thing that you do um for a reason like i actually just saw um this guy's post on instagram and he was talking about how like every single choice you make literally can determine so many things because like um like for example when i was younger i you know like it's an asian stereotype to be really good at math or whatever but i'm like actually super bad at math or like i just didn't really have like a liking for math um mm -hmm. but i feel like if i chose to just like you know hyper focus on math and you know um just really immerse myself in that i feel like i would have taken a different career route than what i want to now and so that just shows like all your little choices and all the different things you like make or decisions that you make um can affect so many different things for your future but you can't really change them because like that's just you know the outcomes or um decisions that you made and they're there for a reason you know um you like you chose them for a reason so i totally agree with that um yeah my next question is what did you do or what do you do in your spare time or just for fun mm -hmm. yeah so for fun i i'm not sure if fencing is you know it's like one of my extracurriculars but it's definitely something mm -hmm. that i think is super fun you know just like going out into the gym and you know sparring with people and like mm -hmm. you know just poking them with swords <laughs> you know yeah um, I really do enjoy fencing it's kind of like a mind break too since it takes my mind off of like studies and stuff and just like focusing on kind of the present since you really do have to think about like every next touch and everything mm -hmm. um, I also really enjoy like walking my dog um, I have a husky so oh. he likes to run a lot so he really <laughs> forces me to exercise you know in the uh -huh. morning I go on like a short, like 15 to 20 minute run, depending mm -hmm. on how warm it is. Cause summer since hot, then you know, mm -hmm. he doesn't like to run. But yeah, so um, that's something that I do a lot. I walk him twice a day and it just, you know, it's just nice to like walk around and kind of see what's going on outside of our little bubble sometime. Like mm -hmm. I see like other people like walking or, you know, just like nature in general. It's just really relaxing. So that's kind of something that I do in my spare time as well. I also really like watching movies and, you know, mm -hmm. like Interstellar and everything um, mm -hmm. and Netflix. And my sister really likes baking. So I recently got into cooking shows because she watches those a lot. So uh -huh. <laughs> when I'm just eating, you know, I'm just watching like um, them bake like amazing things. And I just get hungry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So that's also something that I do, too. Mm -hmm. No, definitely. I think like all like especially fencing, I feel like that's such an amazing and like fun, unique activity to do. I would just this is kind of like an off note, but how did you get into fencing? I would love to know. Yeah, it was kind of interesting because um, I was doing a summer camp in middle school and there were a bunch of different classes we can take. Mm -hmm. And I remember like I chose a few classes and like fencing wasn't one of them, but I mm -hmm. didn't get into one of the classes I wanted to take. And then so they put me in fencing and I was just like, Sure. I mean, I don't, I had no idea what it was. And I remember reading, like, it's a physical game of chess. And I like played chess at the time. So I was like, hmm, this is interesting, you know, but I honestly didn't know what I was going into. 
And then <laughs> it was actually funny though. On the first day, I walked into the advanced class, so I saw a bunch of like people that were much much older than me, and it was like <laughs> the wrong age group, and I was just like so confused. And they were they were already like sparring and like fencing and everything. Mm -hmm. um, and I had no idea what was happening. So it was actually super funny. But then eventually I got into the right class and um, I started learning about it and it was kind of interesting. So fencing has three different types of like swords. And so there's foil, saber and epee. And in that camp, it was foil. So that one, they have like slightly different target areas, slightly different rules. Um, but for that camp, I was learning foil and I honestly didn't walk into it thinking that I would like it. But it ended up being super fun. And I didn't really know that fencing was like a sport. <laughs> you know, I like, yeah. I've heard about it before, but I didn't know that, um, I didn't know like where to go or like if there were academies in San Diego, you know. Mm -hmm. But after the camp, um, I like asked the coach and I was like, hey, if I actually want to learn this, like, can I? Like, is this, mm -hmm. can I actually like go to a gym and, you know, like learn about fencing and how to fence, you know? And yeah, so it kind of all brought me to the, um, a fencing club and like kind of getting started at fencing I ended up not sticking with foils so I switched over to saber but I think like you said you know like all the small actions kind of lead up to a certain thing so right. me not getting into the class so if I maybe like selected my class one minute earlier I might have mm -hmm. actually gotten into the class that I chose and then I would never have known what fencing was or like never gotten into it but mm -hmm. um, you know maybe things happen for a reason and exactly. I think that might have been one of the things that was actually really life-changing even though I didn't really know it at the time, but mm -hmm. just the fact that I was kind of slow and I didn't choose the class like fast enough, mm -hmm. um, kind of got me into a different class. And then um, going into the class and kind of experiencing fencing is like, and kind of realizing that I liked it, it kind of all led me to where I am today. And like, I wouldn't have been fencing if I had gotten to the other class. So I think sometimes it's good to try something new and that sometimes you don't even try to try something new, but it just happens, but mm -hmm. it's all, you know, leading up to something greater. Right, exactly. I like how this story shows how, you know, a mishap or something that seems like it, you know, went wrong in your life actually helps you and like, at, like really like helps you and like totally turns your life, you know, a different way, but for a good. Um, so yeah, I really love that story. Um, my last like fun question about you is what is your favorite memory from childhood? Yeah, this one's a really cool question um my favorite memory from childhood is probably traveling to inner mongolia oh. i remember in fifth grade yeah it was really interesting because i always go back to china since my um my like grandparents live there like my relatives live there mm -hmm. and my dad also works there um mm -hmm. i remember traveling back to china a lot and um we used to always go back to like the cities that my parents grew up in so like beijing and wuhan mm -hmm. um but that there's one time in fifth grade where we decided to go to Inner Mongolia mm -hmm. and it was actually really interesting since usually, you know, um, we stayed at hotels and everything. But when we went to Inner Mongolia, we were literally living inside like a car. Like oh. we drove around in this huge like van mm -hmm. and we would see the people there and kind of like live with them for a bit. So I think that was like one of my favorite memories because it was just such a unique experience. Mm -hmm. um, and it wasn't a typical like vacation trip, you know, we, we went there to um, visit the people there and see like what life was like, because um, I, I like wanted to see like students who live there and kind of, you know, how, how like experience different cultures, you know, mm -hmm. um, but it ended up being like, it's ended up being like a really good time. And honestly, 
just going on that trip kind of like gave me a bigger perspective um, Mm -hmm. of certain things. Like there was this one girl that I met there and she was, she came from like a rural village, but she was super into her studies and she really wanted to go to college, like the first in her village to go to college. Mm -hmm. And I remember after that, um, I really wanted to help, like after coming back from Inner Mongolia, I really wanted to help the people there. Mm -hmm. So I actually like um, begged my parents to give my birthday money or like instead of holding a birthday party to send it over to Inner Mongolia. Mm -hmm. And we ended up like um, sending the money to that girl. And like, even though like birthday money is like $20 or something, um, we ended up setting up like a fund and mm-hmm. ended up paying for that girl's college so that was like one of my like favorite things from when I was younger like I literally didn't know anything about um, what I was doing and like what my actions would be doing mm-hmm. but I literally just asked my parents to um, if we could send my birthday money there and even though it was like $20 and I wouldn't do anything but that eventually like grew into something bigger right that's probably my favorite memory from childhood and it I still like remember um, going there and kind of like seeing kind of it really opened my eyes to um, mm-hmm. how fortunate I am in like my position but also like how I can help people and how people like all the students around the world like really do have like a passion for learning and um, that um, like opportunities can mm-hmm. lead them into like a really like different lifestyle so yeah that was one of the major things that I, that I remember from my childhood. Mm-hmm, definitely. Um, I love how that just shows, you know, how much empathy you've had since even you were a little kid, you know, wanting to help others, even, you know, with this Kawasaki or the KD disease um, awareness that you're trying to spread, like that just shows how much empathy that you have and like, you know, that you want to help others. Um, yeah, I love that. Yeah. Um, so my next, yeah, of course. Um, my next thing are just like what I do all the time with my guests. They're just fun little brain teasers. Um, so my first one is if you were an author, what type of book would you write? Oh, that's an interesting one. Um, so <laughs> I would probably write something like a novel, like a fictional novel. Um, I think I'd, I might want to write a dystopian novel just because I think it's really interesting how um, things might seem like perfect at first but you know um like it turns out that society is flawed in many ways even though people might believe it's like not Mm -hmm. so I'd probably write a dystopian book and then the main character would probably be like a teenage girl just because I vibe with that a bit more Uh, and also because I think that um a lot of the books that I've read that are dystopian have male main characters and that would be interesting to have like a female one that like saves society so yeah I think that's probably one thing I would write definitely um and then my last question is like let's say you're a new addition to the crayon box what color would you be and why (laughs) this one's (laughs) such a fun one um I think I'd probably be like a light pastel lavender Mm -hmm. color or something like that because just because you know a lot of the colors Actually, I think that might be a color that Crayola might have, but just in a, like a typical crayon box, you probably wouldn't see any like light colors. You know, they have like red, orange, and all of those are like pretty bright and bold. Mm-hmm. But I think like a softish color would be really pretty. Mm-hmm. And um, lavender is like one of my favorite colors. I really like pastel colors just because I think they're really aesthetic. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I'd probably be either like a light lavender or like a light blue or something like that. 
Yeah, I think those colors definitely represent you too um, really well because you know it just shows like how um, soft and how much you like care if that makes sense. Like I feel like I associate past yeah like I associate like pastel colors with like you know um, just having this like vibe of kind and like caring and just really like light and soft. Um, so I definitely think that would like represent you perfectly in a crayon box. Um, but yeah, thank you so much for being on today, Ellen. This was such an amazing conversation. And um, I think people that are, have listened up till this point are going to learn so much just about KD disease and what they can do to help spread awareness for it. Um, and just about you in general more. Um, yeah, do you have any last like notes for everybody or any plugs for um, anything? Yeah, thank you so much for um, having me here. So I guess one thing um, would be to check out the KD Foundation. Mm -hmm. um, they're like, they have a huge resource list of kind of articles, different ways to help. They also have a lot of new information about COVID-19 and mm -hmm. all that. So um, yeah, just like the KD Foundation website is a good resource. Um, you could probably learn a lot more about Kawasaki disease and how you can help. Mm -hmm. um, also, I did like make a video about Kawasaki disease and COVID-19. Mm -hmm kind of like explaining um, how COVID-19 is related to co like Kawasaki disease since mm -hmm. they do have a kind of strange connection. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of things that we don't know yet about Kawasaki disease and kind of the relationship with COVID-19 is one of them. Mm -hmm. So in that video, I kind of um, explained it, how the two were related and kind of the mysteries that are still surrounding that. So I guess if your viewers are interested, they can also check that out. Mm -hmm. Definitely. Well, just thank you again. This was probably one of my favorite episodes um so far and yeah it's just like it was so much fun talking to you and I wish you the best for your future I just like know you're gonna do so many amazing things like remember me when you do all these things <laughs> and then um but yeah it's just like it was so fun chatting with you and I hope everybody listening to this point has had a fun time um and I hope you guys have learned something from this and take away you know different perspectives and maybe just you open your eyes more to KD disease. Um, but yeah, that wraps up this episode. Bye guys. Thank you guys so much for listening. It means the world and I hope you guys follow the podcast and stay tuned for the next episodes.